0: If you could take your Bibles to the Gospel of John, chapter fourteen. John chapter fourteen. The name of this message is called "Our Helper," uh, the Holy Spirit. And I know we just had a message a few weeks ago on the Holy Spirit. I think we probably did a couple of them, Uh, and it's just been on my heart more lately. I and I'm not sure exactly why. I've been praying, and we're doing Revelation on on Sunday, but. I, I really do cry out to the Lord and pray during the week and so forth about what to share. Uh, so sometimes, you know, I'm sure sometimes it's just what's on my heart. And uh, I can't always say this is definitely the message the Holy Spirit wants me to preach. It's like I hear a voice or something, you know. Sometimes I know that God's speaking to me. and I'm like, definitely. Other times it's just an impression. Other times it's a strong feeling. Uh, but there's some mystery involved as we seek to do God's will. Amen. But... Uh, I've really been crying out for the Lord to, by his spirit, guide me and direct me as we're finishing up this expose. And I can't even tell you. I mean, we're, we're basically breaking that whole, and pray for it, because we're like, we're like very, very close. Uh, we are going to, we're turning it into like a seven-part series. It was going to be one big deal. Now it's a seven-part series, and the seven-part series is getting close to done because it would have just come out all as one big heaping, you know. Uh, presentation and we're, we don't know if it's gonna be seven exactly, but it's looking like that. Uh, so, uh, the first one that I've been working on, I'm like, Man, the thing is, you do the first one and you just you're kind of bummed because there's a lot of other things that you know people won't see if they only see the first part. But the first one has come together in such a way where if somebody doesn't catch the rest of them, they'll be missing out on a lot of what's going on, but at the same time, it'll hit them bam strong because can't even share with you. I'm I'm excited about it. But we're hoping to have that out. I take to give dates, you know. Uh, Jesus says no one knows the day and the hour. And sometimes that applies to a lot of things I work on, too. (laughs) Not that he meant that, but that kind of I can relate to those words. Uh, But we're looking at, you know, I'm doing one more voiceover tomorrow. And then there'll be a little fixer upper voiceovers. So we're hoping to have it done uh, in a few weeks. So that, that first installment, which will probably be, I don't know, Hour and a half, two hours, just that first one, maybe hour and a half, I don't know. But uh, there's something I, man, I can't even share it because I don't want it to get out yet. Something I found to, uh, last night and today that just, actually, late, late last night, that just was like, I didn't need that. Was just something that I found that was just like, okay, it's already undeniable, but now it's just got way better. Anyway, uh, but I, I bring that up and I didn't intend to bring that up, but I threw my hands up in the air and said, Lord... And that's how this whole thing started, when I was like saw like one of the I think it was for Infinity Wars right before Endgame, and Iron and uh, Iron Man and the Avengers are all going to fight Thanos, and Thanos arrives and it's like this Armageddon type scene except Thanos is like the Christ representative to bring judgment to the world. And he's I am. I'm like, no, you're not. But they're acting like you are, and then they're all getting together to fight you like Armageddon and you're the bad guy, and this just happens to be par for the course. So I said, Lord. This is ridiculous, so I just prayed, Lord, if the same thing is taking place in a lot of popular comic and superhero movies that's happening in the music world and that we expose, if the same thing is, which it's ridiculous almost to even think that that might not be happening when you see it in a lot of other places, at least to a degree, right? So we're not saying thou shalt never watch a superhero movie or anything like that. That's going to be between you and the Lord, but we need to be aware of what's going on because a lot of writers and directors have agendas. They do, okay? And they even state that at times, you know? They admit it. Okay, what's their agendas? So I prayed, Lord, if it's something big, though, because when, if you haven't watched our video, they sold their souls for rock and roll, you have to check that out. It's just eye-popping. And, uh, but after I prayed that prayer, man, the floodgates opened. It's like, whoa, Lord, okay. I'm going to expose this. So I'm wrapping it up. I have more than enough material, you know, way more than enough. And it's not what to put in. It's what to keep out at this point, right? So, but I pray to say, Lord, if I'm missing anything, if there's anything. And I didn't even, a part of me was really hesitant to pray the prayer because I thought, not that I'm wasting God's time. You really don't waste God's time. He's outside of time, right? But I didn't want to pray anything in vain because I thought, I've got so much, he's, you know, so I was just praying to put things the right way now, but I just prayed that prayer again, and I just got hit so hard with a couple of really powerful things that I, I wouldn't, if you told me they existed, I'd say I'd have to see evidence of them, that bring everything together. So what I pointed out here as it relates to this message is the Lord wants to use us. He wants to speak to us. He wants to speak through us, Amen. The Bible says that God's eyes go to and fro throughout the earth, looking for those He can use, those He can strengthen, to do His will. And when we line up with His will, we pray, "Not my will, but Thy will be done." And God's already at work. Well, He could be going different directions, but He's working. And whether we're going to be with Him or not is going to be—it's going to matter as to whether we are going to submit to Him and surrender our lives to Him. You know. And my point is, is that He wants us to cry out and ask. To be used okay the Holy Spirit yearns to use us the Holy Spirit is so powerful and uh, in the creative creation you know the Lord God says let there be light amen you see the father you see the son you right and it says the Holy Spirit was hovering over the waters amen It says in Job, he sent forth his spirit and they were created. So you have, just as you have the whole Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the whole triune Godhead involved in the resurrection of Christ, you have the whole triune Godhead involved in creation. You have the whole triune Godhead involved in our redemption. Although only Jesus suffered on the cross for us, amen? The Father didn't suffer on the cross for us. Holy Spirit didn't suffer for us. Some are teaching that the the Father was on the cross suffering for us too. That's not biblical, okay? Although the father suffered. Did he suffer for our sins? No. How did the father suffer? He loved his son, my only, his only begotten son. You go and look at what happened to Abraham and what he went through and giving up Isaac, and you get just a little tiny drop in the ocean of the anguish and pain that the father experienced. We don't know exactly what he experienced, but it's unfathomable. To try to get your brain around it, you know. But we know that uh, his heart must have been incredibly broken. The Holy Spirit was also involved in the process of redemption and went through things, not on the cross, not suffering for us, but in bringing and in, in helping Jesus actually get to the cross, empowering him, strengthening him, as we'll see. And so it's interesting. uh, You see the whole whole, whole Godhead involved in many aspects, so many aspects of of our walks with Jesus and the creation event and the salvation event and so forth. And it's important that we know that a lot of Christians, many, many Christians, way too many Christians, they they think, okay, Jesus died for me, then they just kind of go it alone, you know? I'll read the Bible and how do I live? And then they just live in their own strength. And we always say it's impossible. It's absolutely impossible to live the Christian life by yourself, amen? Jesus said, apart from me, you could do nothing, zero. Nothing, but Paul said in chapter three, verse 12 of Philippians, through Christ, we could do what? Through him, through Christ, we could do all things, amen? Philippians 4.13, amen, amen? And he supplies all of our needs according to his riches and glory, Philippians 4, 19. And he's, but it's by the power of his spirit that we're able to live a Christian life. And that's, it's imperative that we understand that. Now, it was important that Jesus died for our sins so we could be forgiven, but it's also important that he ascended to the Father for another reason. Go to John chapter 14, verses 16 and 17. John chapter 14, verses 16 and seventeen. Now, when you get there, notice the reason that Jesus says it's important that he, that he goes away. Because you know they're gonna miss him, right? They'll really be like like orphans is the word, but he says I'm not gonna leave you as orphans. But in chapter fourteen, verse sixteen we read this I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may be with you forever. Amen. That is the spirit of truth. Notice he's called the spirit of truth. Whom the world cannot receive because it does not see him or know him, but you know him because he abides with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Now, it's interesting. He tells us that the father is going to send the Holy Spirit. Amen. And he says that that the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive but and he does not seem they know him but you know him because he abides with you okay and in 1 Corinthians 3:16 it says do you not know that you are the god's temple and the, that god's spirit dwells in you if you are a believer in the lord Jesus Christ if you are trusting Jesus Christ as your lord and savior the holy spirit lives in you in Romans chapter 8 it says if the holy spirit does not live in you You do not belong to him. You are none of his. So every true born-again Christian has the Holy Spirit in them. In fact, you cannot be born again without the power and the person of the Holy Spirit. Because Jesus said you must be born of water and of spirit. Being born of the Holy Spirit is when God, the Holy Spirit, quickens you, comes into you, lives in you. And it's interesting because... In one sense, you know, Jesus says the Father and the Son, he says, I'm gonna send you, I'm gonna go to the Father and it's good that I go away, because if I don't go away, the Holy Spirit's not gonna come to you. That's the plan. I have to go to the Father. Then the Holy Spirit will come to you and he'll live in you and you'll be orphans. But then he says this too in John 14 through 16. There's a lot on the Holy Spirit in John 14 through 16 that both the Father and myself, Jesus says, will make our homes in your heart, okay? He hasn't left us orphans, orphans, amen? I sing a little song to my, Uh, grandbabies, you know, I was an orphan, had no place to go, you became my father, made my heart your home, on, on, on. Actually, I said that to the Lord, I sang that to the Lord for a while uh, when my kids were already a little bit older, and then I started singing to my grandbabies. But I just, I love that whole concept that he hasn't left his orphans, amen? I was an orphan, I had no place to go, you became my father, made my heart your home, okay? And that's the truth, he has made our hearts his home. And we, he lives in us. Remember, keep in mind. Did Adam and Eve have the Holy Spirit before they sinned? Yeah, God was. They were separated from God because of their sin. Amen. And they walked with God before they rebelled against Him. Then He appeared to them, possibly in a storm theophany. That's why they hid. You know, because some of the Hebrew words are quite interesting. How many of the uh, translators are looking at them? Uh, modern translators saying this is interesting looks like they may be afraid here because they're in rebellion and they're sinful and, and God's showing up, you know. And it wasn't like necessarily he came and said, hey, you guys want to hang out together and just walk? They're f- like freaked out because they're sinners. And we were, they're were separated from the Lord. Now, Jesus died on the cross, amen, to forgive us our sins, but also so we could have the Holy Spirit come live in us, amen. Now again, We talked about this last time. We talked about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was with them, Jesus said, but he shall be what? In you. Amen? So uh, those words make no sense in the prepositions Jesus uses if there's not some kind of quantitative or qualitative difference in the way the Holy Spirit relates to the disciples after the crucifixion. Okay? He's also talking about he hadn't yet been to the Father when they cling to him. But after he rises from the dead, what does he do? He breathes on the Holy Spirit. I'm sorry, he breathes on them and says, receive what? Receive the Holy Spirit. They didn't have the Holy Spirit in them in the way they had him after, until after Jesus died because their sins weren't paid for. you remember that? Just as what happened when you died before, I'm sorry, what happened when you died, yes, before Jesus died on the cross, if you were to live before he died on the cross? Where would you go as a believer? Go into Abraham's bosom, right? Sheol. Right? That's where the righteous dead went below the earth and the wicked dead. Did they go to the same exact spot? No. There was a big chasm between the two. There was Abraham's bosom, which Jesus referred to as paradise. And then there was where the rich man was in the torment and the flame. And when Jesus died on the cross, it says he also descended in the lower parts of the earth, right? Where he led captivity captive in his train. And in 1 Peter 3, 18 19, it says he was put to death in the flesh whereby he was made alive in the spirit, whereby he preached the spirits that are now in prison were disobedient in the days of Noah. I don't believe some people say, oh, he's preaching all the spirits and giving them a second chance. No, it specifically says he's preaching to the spirits that were disobedient in the days of Noah, which I personally take a reference to the fallen angels. And the preaching, the word preach there doesn't mean the gospel, just means the Greek word means announce. And I believe he's announcing his victory over what the plan that Satan tried to thwart from creeping the seed of the woman from coming and atoning for our sins. Amen? And rescuing us. Not that Satan knew exactly how Jesus would uh, rescue us, but he sought to avert the promise in chapter 3 of Genesis where the seed of the women would crush the serpent's head. And he tried to destroy, the, just make the whole world wicked, try to keep, destroy Israel, to, keep, to try to destroy the Jews, to keep the Messiah from coming. And he couldn't do it. Amen? So just as we couldn't go to heaven, and we know no one went to heaven, you know, into the very presence of God until after Jesus died. Because even when Jesus rose from the dead, right? And Mary was clinging to him, he said, stop clinging to me. I have not yet, what? Ascended to my father. So between when he was crucified and the resurrection, he had not been to the father. In fact, he said to the thief on the cross, today you'll be with me, where? In paradise. So the paradise he had to be talking about there had to be Abraham's bosom, which is described like with water and beauty and comfort and peace. However, it's interesting because it says in the Gospel of John that no one has yet ascended to the Father. But Jesus revealed him. So at that point, nobody had ascended to be in, in God's very, uh, no human being to be with the Father. So this is what's important to understand. When Jesus dies on the cross, we're forgiven of our sins. And the Holy Spirit can now live in us. And we can have that type of deep, abiding communion with God. But also when we die, guess what? We also get to go into God's very presence in heaven. That's all very, very beautiful. When you think about it, when you think it through, that's, that's biblical, I believe that's a biblical paradigm. It fits perfectly together. But the important thing for us in this study is to understand the Holy Spirit comes to live in us. So now that's the way we were created to be is to have God living in us. Amen? The Holy Spirit living in us and living by the strength of his power, L- being guided by the Holy Spirit, being empowered to overcome sin and the flesh and overcome temptation, being, uh, being, having the Holy Spirit there to encourage us uh, in the truth, to encourage us to witness, to help us witness and show the gospel, having the Holy Spirit with us to help us pray and even praying for us and so forth. All these things are so important that you understand the, the work of the Holy Spirit in your life and that you're conscientious that the Holy Spirit is in your life if you're a Christian. That's very, very important. You know why? Like in First Corinthians chapter three and in 1 Corinthians chapter six, you have scriptures like, know ye not that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit? God letting us know, Keep in mind, you guys need to be aware. God's like, you know, he's saying, hey, don't you know you're the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you? And then he warns them against sexual sin and grieving the Holy Spirit. So it breaks my heart for the Lord. It breaks my heart for the purity and the beauty and the personhood of the Holy Spirit in so many believers who live careless lives and are constantly grieving his heart. And I'm sure that's been all of us to one degree or another because none of us have been perfect. But we want to... We we want to love God with the whole heart, soul, mind, and strength. Amen. Holy Spirit is the third person of the triune Godhead, and we want to please the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and live lives that cause the Lord to rejoice. Do you know you bless the Lord? We always say, "God bless me." God bless me. God bless me. God bless, you, God bless you. God bless you. God bless me. We're always praying for blessings. I love what the psalmist says over and over again: "Bless the Lord, O my soul." Do you know you could bless God? that God experiences blessings from you because he sovereignly created us in such a way where he can experience us and we can experience him? Isn't that heavy when you think about it? And I want you and I want me, my life, to be a blessing to the Lord. I want it to be like a sweet aroma. That's a picture the Lord gives of service to him, of, of incense, a sweet aroma to God. And he's trying to give us a picture that yes. And he created parents, if you're a parent and you can sense the joy that your children bring to you, that's a, that's a picture on a smaller level of the joy that we bring to the Father. There's joy in heaven, more joy in heaven over one sinner that repents than, of, uh, than 99 that need no repentance. The Lord rejoices. God rejoices, yeah. Read the Psalms. He rejoices over and over again over his people. It says he sings in Zephaniah 3, he sings over his people. It says joy, Jesus had joy above his companions. The joy is the joy of the Holy Spirit. You can't make that, you know, anthropic because the Holy Spirit never took a body. He's not God, amen, 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 that he has joy. And God wants us to share in that joy. And we're not going to have the joy of the Lord, which is our strength. The Bible says the joy of the Lord is our strength. And we're not going to have the joy of the Holy Spirit if we're not walking in the Spirit and we're not conscientious of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And the greatest way to bring, to not grieve the Holy Spirit, the greatest way to bring joy to God's heart is to glorify Jesus in your life, man to live for Jesus because the Holy Spirit, his ministry is to glorify Christ, amen? So it's important to understand, and we just read that he's called the spirit of truth, amen? The spirit of truth. And it breaks my heart because there's so many thousands of churches today where they claim to be into the Holy Spirit, but they could care less about truth. That's like saying, I really care about my wife, but I don't care about anything that she cares about. And I'm not concerned about what she cares about. If I really care about the Holy Spirit, I'm going to be concerned about truth because he's the spirit of truth. Amen? Amen? And the Bible says love rejoices in the truth. Amen? So now, it's important to understand that the Holy Spirit convicts us of sin. Okay? He convicts the lost world of sin. But before we were believers, how many of you could say, yeah, before I became a Christian, I was convicted of my sin. I realize I'm in trouble. Amen. John 16. Let's go there. John chapter 16. Look at verses 7 and 8. Father, we pray that you'd please speak to our hearts. But I tell you the truth, Jesus says, it's to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not, what? Come to you. But if I go away, I will send him to you. So it was advantageous not for him to just go to the cross to die for us. That's the key right there. Amen. But if he doesn't go, he's saying the Holy Spirit's not coming. That's part of the plan. And when he comes, Jesus says, he will what? He'll convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin because they do not believe in me. So the Holy Spirit wants to use us to, the Holy Spirit convicts the world of sin. He uses believers to do so, by the way, as well. And... Before you were a believer, you didn't believe in Jesus. He's convicting you about your sin and your need for Jesus and how trouble you are and were at the time if you weren't trusting in Jesus. In fact, in John chapter 3, he says, This is condemnation. This is the condemnation that they have not believed in the only begotten Son of God. And the word convicts there is really interesting. Because that's the same Greek word that Paul uses in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 11, when he says, "Have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather convict them." Now, if you hear me quote that verse, usually I use the word "reprove," which is King James or expose, NASB. But this, the same Greek word that's used here that's translated "convict." And now in Ephesians 5:11, it's who's he talking to? Christians, You, me? Have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness. In other words, if you know something's darkness, man, it's a celebration of evil. It promotes evil, you know, and, and, it's, and it's about promoting darkness and wickedness, you know. Halloween's coming up, right? Do we want to promote demons and witches and darkness? I don't. The Bible says abstain or stay away from every appearance of evil. It's what God's word says. I'm just telling you what it says. So, uh, I used to love that holiday before I was a Christian, because before I was a Christian, I loved darkness. In John chapter 3, Jesus said, they, they don't come to me, they don't come to light, because they love darkness more than light, and their deeds are evil, and they don't want to come to light, lest their deeds be exposed. So guess what? The Holy Spirit's going to come, Jesus says, and he's going to convict the world of sin. Now, do you think, the Holy, do you think Jesus had the Holy Spirit? The Bible says he had the Holy Spirit in fullness without measure. Do you think Jesus was convicting for the, even the religious people to be around? Yeah, especially the religious people who weren't walking their talk, amen? In fact, they crucified Jesus because he spoke words that were only in line with the Holy Spirit. He's the Son of God. He is the way, the truth, and the life. So the Son of God, he speaks truth. The Holy Spirit also speaks through him. And, and he was crucified for it. Now he knows, he said, I'm the light of the world. People don't like the light when they're in darkness. You ever wake up and it's all dark and all of a sudden a bright light comes on? You're like, how many of you, when you get up and it's dark, you kind of just don't turn all the lights on right at once? That's me. You know, you just kind of get used to it and you turn the light on or whatever. Uh, guess what? Jesus is a light of the world, but guess what he says to the Christians, the believers, the disciples? You are the light of the world, Amen. Because he's like the sun, and we're like the moon, and we reflect his light to the world. And we reprove, have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. You are commanded, I'm commanded, to convict the world of darkness. Wow. Not in this uh, judgmental, mean-spirited, I'm higher, holier than thou. No, as a sinner saved by grace, man, that, man, I was once in the darkness like that, man. But let me tell you what's let me tell you what's going on. Check this out. You know? Look at what God's Word says. Here's what Jesus said. Here's what the prophets taught. Here's what's happened in the world. Here's where it's going. Here's what the world's saying. Here's what God says. Okay? And you're exposing the works of darkness by walking in the truth of God's word, the light of his word. You can't just shout at the darkness. Shouting at the darkness doesn't convict the world of sin. What do you need to do with the darkness? When it's dark, you need to turn on the light. Amen? What's the light? Thy word is a lamp to my feet and a light unto my what? Path. So you bring up God's word. Amen? And you bring up God's word. We have a lot of videos. I think I've done about a dozen videos, exposés, films on uh, documentaries. And there are a lot of them, pretty much, I think all of them when I think about it are basically that, exposing the works of darkness. And what we're doing is turning lights on. I'm not just saying, hey, look how dark it is over here. I'm saying, look at what God's word says. I'm bringing light, Right? And it's shining, shining like a, uh, uh, you know, you ever see those floodlights those huge lights when the car dealership wants you to kind of come by them? I don't see them as much. But when I was young, you guys remember those lights? you just see them through the sky. If you live in the valley, you probably still see them. It's like, I remember being young saying, oh, those are pretty cool. Then I found it, got a little bit older. Oh, that's a car dealership, you know? Oh, wow. Well, guess what? That's what we kind of have with the Bible. And we just kind of, Satan's over there deceiving somebody. We just go, Shh, and all of a sudden Satan's like all naked, you know? And you're just saying, hey, look, that's the devil, man, in your life. And Satan hates the light. And that's why Jesus said, if they hated me, they're going to hate you. Right? John chapter 16. If they hate the master, he said, how much more are they going to hate the servants? So true Christians are going to be hated by the world. I don't like it when Christians are careless and they say, well, the world hates Christians because the world's, the Christians are just are all a bunch of hypocrites. Well, that's Foolish. Okay, a lot of professing Christians are hypocrites, to be sure. Okay, but not all Christians are just like not all cops are bad, right? Just like not all of every any race is bad. Just not like all teachers are bad, right? Or all librarians are bad, or all whatever, you know. Most lawyers. I'm just kidding. (laughs) There's a lot of good lawyers out there. I've got some lawyer friends. If you're listening right now, I'm playing with you. If you're walking with Jesus, that is, right now. (laughs) I <laughs> just keep walking with Jesus. But uh, so we, we've got a job and it's hard to do that job because there are a lot of people that are walking with Christ that do name the name of Christ. And that is a shame and that does need to be called out. But that should not deter us from walking in the truth. Amen. Because there were false Christs, should Jesus say, oh, I better not even say I'm the Christ because there's false Christ out there. No, he is who he is. If you're a Christian, you ought to be who you are. Amen. And we're followers of the true Lord Jesus Christ. Now, the Holy Spirit helps us in evangelism. You see, He came, Jesus atoned for our sins, but the Holy Spirit's come now. He says, I'm going to send you another helper. Amen. He sends us the other helper to empower us and to use us to be soul winners. The Bible says, He was wise, wins souls. The Bible says, Those who lead many to righteousness will shine like the stars forever. And be like the brightness of the expanse forever. And that's any of you who are out sowing the seed of God's word. Praying for the lost, that the Lord would send out laborers. Praying, being a light. Just pray, cry out to God. That'll help you a lot. The more you pray about people getting saved, the more God will give you a greater burden and you'll start speaking more often. You'll start, you know, pray for divine appointments, you know. So he helps us in evangelism. Look at John chapter 14, verses 16 through 17. I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may be with you forever, right? Okay, and we looked at this. Now look at verse 17. That is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because he does not see him or know him. But you know him because he abides with you and will be in you. Now watch this. He's not going to leave us orphans. Verse 18, we looked at that verse. And then in verse 19, it says, after a little while, the world will no longer see me. But you will see me because I live and you will live also. And that day you will know that I am in the Father and, that, and you and me and I in you, okay? And they he talks about he who has his, uh, keeps his commandments, loves him and so forth, and the Father and the Son, are, you know, that they're gonna make their homes in us, you know, verse 23 and following. Now, jump to chapter 16, verse five. But now I am going to him who sent me. Chapter 16, verse five. And none of you ask me, where are you going? But because I have said these things, you know, sorrow has filled your heart. Look at verse 7 now. But I tell you the truth, it's to your advantage that I go away, which we looked at that, right? Now, why is it, to, what's, the, what's the answer? Why is it to his advantage that, he, our advantage he goes away? So the Holy Spirit will come, right? But the Holy Spirit's going to do three things he mentions there. Number one, he's going to what? Convict the world of sin, then what? Of righteousness and what? Judgment. Concerning sin, because they have not believed in me. Now look at verse 10. And concerning righteousness, because I what? I go to the Father, and you no longer see me. And concerning judgment, because the rule of this world has been judged. Now, it's interesting, because when you're speaking about Jesus, and you're witnessing about Jesus, they're going to be convicted of sin. But how are they convicted of sin? Unless there's a measurement as to what is right and wrong, amen? And who's the standard? God's word the Lord Jesus Christ, amen, the righteous one who was crucified for our sins. He said, if I didn't have any, if I didn't come, you would have no sin. Does that mean they were sinless? No, but they wouldn't have understood the magnitude of the rebellion against God without the revelation of Jesus Christ to the degree that they would since he came, amen. So we preach Jesus because Jesus, man, when you talk about Jesus with somebody, it's like you're putting, you know, you're basically, as we talked about, shining the light, amen. But If you're wearing like darker clothes like I am right now and I get kind of dirty and stuff, you're not gonna see the dirt so well, right? But if I was wearing all white right now, right, and I had a spaghetti dinner before I came, I think I got named Joe for a reason, you know? Sloppy Joe, maybe. I don't know, man. Because I gotta be really careful when I eat. I just eat and, you know, if it's like got sauce, I'm in trouble, you know? It's like, what in the world? I was careful, I thought, you know? So, uh, but it's gonna show up, amen? Well, Jesus is perfectly, you know, he is the light of the world. And when you're with Jesus, ha, your sin shows up. And when you talk about Jesus, people, sin shows up. Because he's the standard of righteousness and judgment. You know, Paul said in Acts chapter 17 when he preached the gospel there on Mars Hill, he said that God created the heavens and the earth. You shouldn't be worshipping the LGBT, you should be worshipping him. And he's going to judge the world by Christ Jesus. And he furnished evidence of his resurrection. We preach Jesus, we preach the whole gospel, we preach the fact that he is Lord that he's going to judge sin, that he died for sin. He rose again, but he's going to come and judge it as well. And we get power to witness. Go back now, a book to Luke chapter 24, just before the gospel of John. And there, pick it up, the last couple of verses there, for chapter 44 of the gospel of Luke, verse 46. And he said to them, this is after his resurrection. Thus it is written that Christ would suffer and rise again from the dead the third day. It's after he rose from the dead. He's saying, hey, this is what, you know, was prophesied, verse 37. And that repentance for forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to what? All the nations beginning from Jerusalem. Remember, these disciples were just hiding. Their master, their Lord, was getting crucified. They're shaking in their boots or, or sandals, so to speak, and they're afraid that they might get crucified, that they might be killed. Yet he's telling them that you're gonna be my witnesses. And it's like, whoa, really? You know? And then he says... You are witnesses of these things. You guys are witnesses of these things. Now are you going to get up and do the work? Look at verse 49. It's very important. And behold, I am sending what? Forth the promise of my what? My Father upon you. And you are to stay in the city until you are clothed with what? Power from on high. The promise of the Father that Jesus is referring to in Luke chapter 24 is what? Or better, whom? The Holy Spirit. Amen? Who's going to, he's going to baptize them, Right? and fire, right? He's going to baptize them with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's with them, but he's going to be in you. And he's going to use you to be witnesses around the world. And by the way, sometimes people are like, yeah, he told that to the apostles. I can show you in the Gospel of John and comparing intertextual scriptures that he's not just talking to to 11 apostles every time he's with the disciples. Sometimes there's more than 11 there and he's, he's, he's commissioning them to go and be witnesses, to go and do his work. I send you as the Father sent me, he says, The church is sent. And how do we know that? And it's not just the apostles. Because in Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 and 20, and verse 18, I shouldn't leave that out since we're talking about the Holy Spirit. He says in verse 18, all power in heaven and earth is given unto me, okay? And then in verse 19, 20, he says what? Go therefore into all the world, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to What? Observe everything that I've commanded you, and lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. He keeps encouraging them. There's like bookends right there. All power in heaven has given me, the beginning of that part. The end part, I'm with you always at the end of the age. He's letting us know that he's with us when we go witness. He's letting us know the mission of the Holy Spirit is to use us as the body of Christ to be a witness to the lost. Man, it blows me away. I love it when people, I love hearing missionary stories and the biographies of missionaries and, and just... The testimonies of missionaries. And, because that's where the Holy Spirit's so profoundly at work. Remember in chapter 22, verse 17, near the very end of the last book of the Bible, verse 17, the Spirit and the bride say, come. Let him that hears say, come. Let him that's thirsty, come and drink of the water of life freely. In other words, the bride is supposed to be out there saying to the lost world, come and drink. But it's not the bride. The bride's not even first mentioned there. It's not the bride alone. It's the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, and the what? Bride. It, that should encourage you that the Holy Spirit wants to use you as his mouthpiece to reach the lost. And when you're saying, man, I'm going to go witness and I'm going to go share the gospel, that's God's heart. It's not like, well, I wonder if God wants to be with me. No, God's been waiting for us to be witnesses. And it's not just going on a big mission trip. You are on a mission right now. Jesus says, you are my witnesses. Amen. And he doesn't just say, when you go to the other parts of the earth, he says, in Jerusalem right where they're at, and they're tearing, waiting for the Holy Spirit to come upon them in power. And in Siberia, next door, in a hostile area, and in the outermost parts of the earth. So right now, you guys, me, you, all of us, we're missionaries right now. The question is, is how are we doing a good job? Because you're on the mission field as a missionary. The Bible says, if anyone be in Christ, he's a new creation, right? All things have passed away, and all things have become new. Anyone in Christ, right? And even Christ, that's you. A couple verses later, it says, and he's given us the ministry of reconciliation. That means as Christians, we all have the ministry of reconciliation. We're all supposed to be a light in some way, in one way or another, to try to win people to Christ. In fact, skip John now and go to the book of Acts chapter 1 and look at whatever it says right there. Acts chapter 1 verse 8. Now, this is at Pentecost, you know, they're waiting, you know, they're going to wait and then they're going to receive the power of the Holy Spirit and they'll be filled with the Holy Spirit in chapter 2. But right before that, we read in verse 8, but you will receive What? You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be my what? Witnesses both in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and even to the utter or remotest part of the earth. There it is. So the Holy Spirit wants to use us and he gives us power to witness. In Second Timothy 1.7 it says, God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. So the Holy Spirit wants to empower us to share the gospel with others because we live in a lost world. Look at the extremes that Jesus went to save the lost. He left heaven. He became a man in the incarnation. God became a man. I've said over and over again, that's, that's a bigger step down than you or me becoming a cockroach. And I mean that big time. Because if I became a cockroach to save the cockroaches. I am a creature. I'm just becoming another creature lower on the rung. God didn't, God's not a creature. He's the uncreated creator of all things and he became a creature. Amen? And he became a human being and I don't know, there's, I never heard of a, anybody ever see a serial killer movie on, about a cockroach that goes around killing a bunch of cockroaches just for the fun of it? I think humans are kind of the worst group of creatures in some ways, right? I mean, I'm sure somebody can show me a, serial killer animal, you know, that's just maniacal. That kills a bunch of other animals. I'm sure they exist out there. I'm just asking for a cockroach though, okay? My point is this. Just God becoming a man is a big deal. So he could become a man and die for us. And if he goes to that extent, how much more do you think the Holy Spirit wants to continue to bring that message? Says how much more? If he died for us, how much more will he not what? Give us the life, Right? And he wants us to be a witness. So it grieves him when we hold the truth in our hearts, guys. And we don't share it with others. Now, if you're like, man, I really want to share it with others. I just, I struggle doing it. And you're crying out to God and praying. That's way better than not caring and sit on your hands and not praying about it. Just, ah, uh, cavalier. Ah, uh, people are going to hell. No big deal. You know? One Satanist, I think it was a Lester Crowley said, he basically tried to shame Christians. He goes, because if I was a Christian, You know, I would crawl across glass to witness to the lost souls, you know. Like, I don't believe him, okay? (laughs) Because he's just, God help that. Don't don't help him now, Lord, because I'd be praying for the dead. God help anybody that believes like that, though, right? So, but guess what? I I say anybody who makes those claims who's not lifting a finger but shaming other people. But I thought, you know what? When I read that, I was like, well... We should be doing a whole lot more. Christians ought to, you know, and it's a bummer when the world convicts you, right? But uh, I'm just saying, guys, there's people that are lost and we're supposed to be sharing the gospel and the Holy Spirit is yearning to use us. And to me, that's exciting to know that when you wake up in the morning, the Holy Spirit's like, I want to use you. I want to use you, Lenny. I want to use you, Jim. Right? I want to use you, Mike. Right? I want to use you to be a witness for me. Amen? And... Hopefully you let me use you today. And are you going to cry out to the Father and pray to be used? Because you have not because you ask not. And there's a lot of the things you could do for me to your glory. I'm not saying he's saying those exact words, but that's his heart is to use you. Okay? Now, now of course, and thank God that he helps us pray. Now, today you have all kinds of church programs which aren't about when it's loss and not loss. The Bible says there will be people in the last days, terrible times will come, right? Men, we love ourselves, all that. It says, they'll, be without, they'll have a form of godliness, but deny the power thereof. The Greek word is dunamis. And that's the same word used for Jesus when he promises the dunamis, the power of the Holy Spirit. The, whole, the Bible prophesies that the church in the last days would be without power because there would be people that had a form of godliness, but are not relying on the power of the Holy Spirit. So it's all about programs. What kind of programs can we have to make people happy and get the church filled? What you have have is a bunch of churches with a bunch of program people that just go through the rituals of just doing whatever the churches want them to do. And God wants you to know that he wants to have a dynamic relationship with you where you have his heart and you're hurting for the lost and you want to be used by him. You're saying, God, use me. If it means going to the mission field, Lord, and going to the most parts of the earth, please use me. Whatever, he, that needs to be our prayer. I've shared the story with you before. Like when I got married to my wife, before I, when I proposed to her, one of the things I said to her, I go, you have to be willing to live in a tent for the rest of your life on the mission field if God calls us to that, you know? And she said she was, you know? So for years and years and years, I never heard, let's buy a house. Because I'd always pull that card out. Do you remember when, no, I'm just kidding. I gonna just pull that out, you know. The Lord worked it out. We've gotten home, but hopefully, I'm getting older now, so if the Lord tarries, have something maybe to leave my kids and grandkids. But, um, but you know what? The Holy Spirit also, he helps us pray, amen, because he's our helper. That Greek word helper is paraclete. Say paraclete. Paraclete. It's a beautiful word. It's translated counselor, helper, you know has you know, uh, you know, different, it's kind of, it's used for like legal counsel, that, that actual Greek word, it's pretty, pretty interesting. But he's our helper and he lives in us. And isn't it awesome that Jesus, and remember, we did this and I wanna go into it because when I did a, re- a teaching on the Holy Spirit a few, a few weeks back, maybe two months ago, the word another, I point out there's a couple different Greek words for another, but the word that Jesus used for another means just like himself, amen? Because when you see Father, Son, and Holy Spirit They are three persons, but they share the same essence, right? And the Holy Spirit is just like Jesus, but he's not Jesus. He's the Spirit. But just as Jesus was loving them, and that's the Holy Spirit lives in us. And he is our helper. So it's amazing. So when Jesus says it's to your advantage that I go away, guess what? He's with all of us, no matter where we're at. Amen? Isn't that awesome? Jesus is with us. Lo, I'm with you always, he says to the end of the age. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are all with us, and he helps us pray. And go to Romans chapter 8. When we don't know what to pray, guess what? The Holy Spirit will help us pray. And when you're struggling, Lord, I'm struggling praying. And you know why? And I'm going to say, I'm just going to admit it. A lot of times, man, I mean, I'll pray, but I get convicted in two different ways in my prayer life in regard to the, this, the, the, the Lord's prayer. It relates really to the disciples' prayer. Because Jesus never, I always say, Jesus never prayed this prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, he gave it to the disciples, right? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Father, may your name be shown to be hallowed. May my life be, my, my life so shine that they people know that you are holy, holy, holy. May you be glorified in my life, in the life of my brothers and sisters, family, church, business, whatever you have going for Jesus, man. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Amen. He's coming back, amen. And then, you know, give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our what? Our trespasses or our sins. Jesus gave this prayer more than once. And one time he used the word, uh, like, or oh, I'm sorry, the Greek word for sin it means to sin, miss the mark. Another time he used the word debts because we, we have debts because of our sin. So it's interesting he used two different words, which I love that he did that because it encompasses a greater understanding of what our sin is against him. But forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Did Jesus ever pray that? Did he ever ask for forgiveness of his sins? No, because Jesus was absolutely, perfectly without what? Sin. He didn't have to pray this prayer. He never would have prayed, forgive us our sins. And then lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil. So we have this incredible prayer, and but I love to pray that prayer, and that's my confession. Sometimes I pray that I try to pray that prayer often. You know, sometimes a few times a day or more. You know, and th- and, I, and my confession is this: sometimes I like I feel like man, I should I need to pray that because at times I'm like I want the perfect words, but I don't always have them. In fact, I probably don't ever have the perfect words unless I pray that prayer. Because it's the perfect prayer, amen? It's exactly what Jesus told us and commanded us to do. And he says, give us this day our daily bread. That means it seems like a daily prayer. And if you come out of Roman Catholicism, you might think, oh, I prayed that prayer as a Catholic and it's a Catholic prayer. No, that's a Jesus prayer. You don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. You don't throw Jesus' teaching out with the Catholic church. Yeah, you get rid of the Roman Catholic teaching because it's very unbiblical. They persecuted Jews and other people through the centuries. Christians. And their teachings were, I don't want to get into Catholicism, I'm just going to say, this is not a Catholic prayer, this is Jesus' prayer. Now if you pray it over and over and over and over again, one time after another, to be heard, like a rosary, yeah, then you're making a Catholic thing, but it's not a Catholic thing. And so it's a great prayer, but guess what, there's at times when we're just at a total loss, right? And I just cry out to God and say, Lord, your will be done. You know, I pray for people, pray what's on my heart. Don't just pray for yourself. I did a message during COVID when we met in my backyard, one of the Wesley's that we met back there, and I pointed out the very first word, our, our father, right? That's the first word in the English, our, right? In the Greek, I think it's father, our, but um, pater, yeah, it's father, our, Uh, but guess what? That gets our eyes off ourselves because typically when we pray, Lord, help me, help me, help me. Me, 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 me. That's not how we're supposed to be praying. Yeah, you could pray for yourself, you should, but guess what? He starts, Father, our, our Father who art in heaven, right? Forgive us our sins. Give us this day our daily bread, amen. Thy name be holy, right? Be made, shown to be hallowed. See, we as human beings have fallen wicked natures. And we are self-orientated. We're narcissistic. The original sin was wanting to become God. And guess what? We've inherited that nature where we are God. We are first. And just look at babies out the, outside the womb, right when they're born. Me, 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 you know? And then if they're not taught and they don't grow, man, they're just self-centered people. That's all of us until we come to Christ and we realize, man, it's not all about me, man. I got a creator that made me and it doesn't all revolve around me. In fact, nothing revolves around me. It all revolves around him. And I'm created to love him with my whole heart, soul, and strength, and my neighbor as myself, and love my brothers and sisters, love my enemies, love my wife as Christ, love you. Wow, that's totally new orientation, amen? Wow, what a revelation. And Christians learn that, they know that, we read that, but then their prayer life is they forget it. Me, 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 me. No, don't forget what you're learning. Pray for everybody else. Paul said, pray for all the saints, amen? We need to pray, but you know what? Thank God, because sometimes when our prayers get jacked up, Look at what it says in verse 26 of chapter eight. In the same way, the spirit also helps our weakness, for we do not know how to pray as we should, but the spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Now, listen to what he said there. In the same way, the spirit also helps our weakness, for we do not know how to pray as we should. This is Paul. Man, he wrote Romans saying this. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Some say, he's speaking about the gift of tongues right here, huh? No, he's not. It says with groanings too deep for what? I believe the gift of tongues. is in 1 Corinthians 12. It's in 1 Corinthians 14. It's in Acts chapter 2. It's in, Acts, it's in Isaiah chapter 28. Yeah, I don't have a problem. Tongues is there. It's in the Bible. It just needs to be done decently in order. But this isn't talking about tongues. Tongues are words. This is the Holy Spirit interceding with with groanings that are too deep for words. And he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the spirit is because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Now, it can be really frustrating when, you know, I've got little grandbabies, now i got a little one, and she's just learning to talk just a little bit, you know. And, you know, Chad's uh, youngest daughter. And But, you know, sometimes they get frustrated. They're trying to communicate something, and they're like, looking at you like, You idiot, don't you know what I want? And I'm like, "Mm, no, you know? (laughs) And they can't really communicate it. We really can't understand it. Well, praise God. when we can't really communicate what we need. And we don't even always know what we need. Often we don't. The Holy Spirit's interceding for us. Isn't that good news? And he searches. He he knows. He, He understands and so forth. And the next thing is the Holy Spirit helps us understand God's word. Okay? I love chapter 14. Verse 26 of John, it reminds us, quote, But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. Okay? And again, that's that word paracletus again, or paracletos. And it's translated helper in the English Standard Version. It's translated uh, counselor in the King James Version, advocate in the NIV. Okay? Okay? And it's just amazing because the Holy Spirit helps us and advocates uh, for us and reminds us of Jesus' teachings. Now, the context there, I believe, is Jesus has promised the the disciples that what he's taught them, the Holy Spirit is going to bring to their minds. They're going to actually write scripture. But there's application because guess what? This shows that the Holy Spirit wants us to know the truth. Amen. And as believers, the Holy Spirit will oftentimes... How many times did you, you know... How many times has it happened to you where all of a sudden just scriptures come in your heart that are perfect for something that you're going to face? Or you're praying for somebody that you haven't seen for some time that's on your heart, and then all of a sudden you see them. Or you're praying, and all of a sudden you're singing a song. This happens to me. I'm like, I haven't sang that song in years, but I've been praying, and it's just, but I didn't think of it like I want to sing this song. All of a sudden it's just a song that's a dear song. I'm like, wow, I've been thinking about that, but I've been praying And seeking God. So I'm in the spirit. And the Holy Spirit, because we're supposed to sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Spiritual songs, amen. The Holy Spirit will put songs on our hearts as we're seeking the Father. It's just a beautiful thing. And so he guides us into all truth. In John 16, 13, says, When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own, but he will tell you what he has heard. He will tell you about the future. Wow. Man, look at First Corinthians chapter 2, verses 10 and 11. It shows us that the Holy Spirit is the revealer of God's truth. He's the spirit of truth. It says that God revealed them through the spirit, or to us, God revealed them through the spirit. For the spirit searches all things, even the depths of God. For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him? Even so the thoughts of God, no one knows except the spirit of God. By the way, is the spirit of man part of man? Yes or no? Yeah, yeah. Therefore, the Spirit of God is God. Amen? It's another great uh, scripture to show that the Holy Spirit is God, Uh, not some just force like the Jehovah's witnesses teach. The Holy Spirit gives us power to crucify the flesh. Go to Ephesians chapter 1. How many say, man, I want more power to crucify my sinful flesh? Amen? I know I do. Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. And I, I love these scriptures because they've, as a believer growing in Christ, as a new believer, these kinds of scriptures just, I gravitate to because I was like, Lord, I need strength. I'm a new Christian, you know, and all of a sudden I'm like, wow, you know, I'm a Christian and I've got this flesh that's still here. Now I need to crucify it. And I started reading, Jesus said, and I'm a brand new Christian. I don't know any other Christians. I don't know any Christians. I'm a new Christian. Nobody witnessed to me. And I'm reading chapter, Luke chapter 9, Right? 24 21 through 20, right in that area and jesus says you know he says if anyone would come after me he must what deny himself take up his cross and follow me how often by the way does he say daily so i'm like oh i have to deny myself okay so how do i deny myself that's why the scripture i love how do i deny yourself how do you deny yourself jesus says pray not my will but what Thy will be done, amen? That's how you deny yourself. You pray for his will. You don't do your own thing anymore, right? That's critical. So now, how do I crucify the flesh? Well, Jesus we, Jesus was crucified by doing the Father's will. He prayed in the garden of Gethsemane, not my will, but your will be done. And he was literally crucified on the cross, right? We crucify our flesh by denying the desires of our old man that knocks and says, I want to be first, I want you to be first. Come on, let's just be our own God again and do your own thing and get drunk and party and get stoned and just listen to wicked music and just, uh, you know, lose your temper. Just say whatever comes to your heart. It's all about you. And usually it's not going to come out that blatantly, right? But that's basically what happens if you just live for the flesh, ultimately, if you just go that route. But no, we're supposed to deny even the whispers of the flesh that suggest that we put ourselves first. In fact, I love it because Ephesians 1, check it out. The Holy Spirit helps us deny our flesh. He's our helper. Verse 17, Paul is praying. And he prays that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, verse 17, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of his calling. And the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. And that in the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe. He wants us to understand the power that we have as believers. uh, That these are in accordance with the working of the what? Strength of his might. Which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead. And seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Now go to chapter 3. Chapter 3 verse 16. And Paul is praying again that he would grant you, that, is that God, he prays the Father in heaven, verse 14, and then in verse 16, he says that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be what? Strengthened with the power through his spirit in the what? Inner man. My mom, and mom, if you're watching from Idaho, love you very much, praise God. She showed me a book that somebody gave her to read. And she says, hey, look, this is by this Baptist, and there's some good Baptists, but this book just, at least in that area, I didn't read a lot of it, I just read a little bit of it. She goes, look, it says it's wrong to pray that God would fill us with the Holy Spirit. I read that. She goes, would you agree with that? I'm glad her, like, spiritual antennae went up, and when she's like, no, 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 that's wrong. And she goes, what do you, and I go, no, I took her to this passage. Read it again. Look at verse 16. And that he would grant you, this is Paul's prayer, verse 14, he's praying, He would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with the power through his spirit in the inner man so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith and that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and depth and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge and that you may be what? Filled up to the fullness of God. Amen. And she goes, well, that's pretty clear. You know, I'm like, yep. I pray all the time. God, fill me with your spirit. God, strengthen my inner man. Amen? Help me walk in the spirit so I don't fulfill the desires of the flesh. Galatians chapter 5, verses 13 through 16. Amen? The Bible says, those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with his affections and desires. Chapter 5, verse 24 of Galatians. And verses 22 and 23. But the fruit of the spirit is? Love and peace and joy and long-suffering and gentleness and goodness and faithfulness and meekness and self-control. Against these things there is no law, it says. So guess what? The Holy Spirit helps you become more and more like Jesus. Amen? So he helps us crucify the flesh, put to death the old man, and transforms us into becoming more and more like Christ. How many of you feel like you should be a little more like Jesus? How many feel like you should be, this is me, a lot more like Jesus? Jesus? That's me. I'm like, I need to be a lot more like Jesus. Amen. And just when you think that you're more like Jesus, then you find out a few minutes later that you're not quite close yet. You know, you got a long way to go. I know I feel that way a lot of times. You know, I think, oh, I'm doing good. You know, it's like, ah, Lord, help me be stronger. Let me be better in you, you know? So we cry out to him, and that should be our constant prayer. He helps us crucify the flesh. Romans 8, 12 and 13, it says, Brethren, we are not debtors to the flesh to live after the flesh, but if you, through the Holy Spirit, through the Holy Spirit, put to death the deeds of the body, you shall live. You know why I have those kinds of scriptures memorized? Because they're dear to me. Because they matter in my life. And I hope and pray they matter in your life. Because they show us how to get victory over the flesh. Walk in the spirit. You will not fulfill the desires of the flesh. These are huge keys for my own Christian walk. I'm not sharing with you a secret. I'm sharing with you what the word of God says. In fact, look at what Paul says after he prays that they be filled with the fullness of God. That they be strengthened in the inner man by the, holy, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Look at verse 20, what he says. It's so good. Now to him who is able to do What? far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think according to the what? The power that works within us. Now that verse is quoted so much in the word faith movement and stuff or parts of reference, like bigger mansions, bigger jets. Look at this verse. That's not what it's talking about. It's talking about a bigger life for Jesus, man. He's talking about a wider heart for him, man. About, talking about having more excitement about him. About understanding the height, the depth, the width, and the length of God's love for us. That is the riches. That's true riches, amen. Realizing who the, that the creator of the universe, right? And that we're heirs of him. Loves us immensely beyond what we get our brains around. So he prays that we'd have a better revelation of that. And he prays that we'd be strengthened in such a way. Because God's able, if you're praying... And you're surrendering to to do exceedingly abundantly above that which you dream, ask, or think. In other words, guess what? God's like, come on. I want to give you strength to live a godly life. You can live a holy life. Just surrender. Just pray. And just make it a constant prayer. God, fill me. God, use me. You know? And I pray all the time. God, fill me, as I mentioned. You know why? Because Paul said, follow My example is I follow Christ. So I see Paul praying that. And he prays that for everybody else. So I pray for you guys that way. God, fill them with your Holy Spirit. God, help them understand the height, the depth, the width, or the length of your love for them in Christ Jesus. And that's why I believe when I pray that prayer, I believe that's why God's put a lot of typologies in my heart. A lot of typologies showing the beauty of Jesus throughout the scripture. Because I believe, honestly, that that's an answer to that prayer. Because he's opened up my eyes and all of our eyes to the degree that you pray to understand and love and appreciate Jesus more. Amen? And the more you appreciate and love Jesus, the more you want to serve him. The more you want to be on fire for him. Amen? The more the things of this world become mundane and aren't very important after all. Talk about the things that are are temporal and so forth? Now, uh, I'm looking at the clock. Oh, I love what's coming up still. Man, I only had, I had such a short message, only seven pages, you guys, and I'm only halfway through it. That's because I did a lot of preaching with the teaching. But uh, I know there's a women's retreat coming up, so I want to make sure you guys get home if you've got wives and so forth. Uh, But any questions, because we'll have a part two of this message next Wednesday. Do you want to hear more about how we can have help from the Holy Spirit? We'll have a part two on this. Any questions on this, on the Holy Spirit in our lives as believers before we pray? Come on. Yeah. Greg. Yeah? Okay, you know what? I'll tell you what. That's a deeper question. And I'm going to answer it, but I'm just going to take one question then. Otherwise, we're not going to get out of here on time. I've been usually getting done about 8.45, you know. So we'll still get done just before that. Uh, Go to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30. And let me read it. It's almost like this is a staged question because I just looked down at my Bible. And I'm like, oh, Ephesians 4.30. But then I'm like, wait a minute. Yeah, we just ended Ephesians 3.20. Does that make sense? (laughs) I'm like, how did I get there? Well, that's where we're all at, Greg. And there's a scripture right there that talks about what you brought up. It says in verse 30, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Okay. Now, in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 21, you are going to go there. Ephesians chapter 1, verse... Let me back up. It's a little bit earlier. Verse 13... uh, and following. In Him, you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in Him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is given as a pledge of, inher- of our inheritance with a view of the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of His glory. So we've been sealed with the Holy Spirit. It's because of Jesus' death on the cross, it's like the Holy Spirit is given as like a down payment, so to speak, not to pay for us, but to say, hey, you belong to the Lord because you believed, you know, you were sealed, it says, after you believed. Okay, so we're sealed by the Holy Spirit. Now, some say, oh, once you're sealed, you're always sealed. Well, the Bible talks about seals, the seal over the tomb was broken, the, the, the seven seals are broken. Seals, just something sealed doesn't mean it can't be broken. The question is, in what terms is a, can a seal be broken? And I personally believe that God can break the seal, okay? But the, the, the warning about not grieving the Holy Spirit is in that context of, in fact, let's go to it now. But I wanted to also, I want you to keep in mind the normal Christian life is that Jesus says, I'll give you the Holy Spirit that he may be with you forever, okay? That's the normal Christian life, okay? Now, there is a warning against apostasy, which is turning away from Jesus, Okay, so we're gonna talk about the difference between grieving the Holy Spirit and that we break the Holy Spirit's heart at times versus grieving him to the point where you commit apostasy and where it can get really, really, really ugly. Okay, but in Ephesians 4.30, if you look at the context there, when he says don't grieve the Holy Spirit, go to the verse right before that. It says uh, in verse, 20, uh, verse 26, be angry and don't, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. So let's say I'm having an argument, and a debate with Mrs. Schimmel, my wife, right? And uh, I call her Mrs. Schimmel, you know, which I never call her Mrs. Schimmel. I've never done that. I don't know where it's come from, you know. But I just, I'm in an argument with her. and I don't even want to call her by her name or something, you know. We're just like, and I am so upset with her, you know. So my son, Josiah, just moved out. He, you know, he moved out one time before for a little while. Then he moved back in, and now he just moved out. So let's say I'm upset because he moved out, and you've been telling him, you need to grow up, you know, you need to become a man, and what she wasn't doing, and he moves, and I miss him, because I do miss him, so I'm kind of putting some true feelings with nothing, she did, and i a sudden, we're in this scenario where I'm just upset, and I'm going to go sleep, where are you sleeping? I'm sleeping in Jojo's room, you might as well, it's an open room, you threw him out anyway, didn't happen, okay, total false scenario, and I'm refusing to give her, forgive her, right, and the Lord says, if I don't forgive her, I'm not going to be what? Forgiven, and I'm angry, and I'm not saying, wow, look what, you forgave me all my sins, Lord, and and she didn't even do that. And I'm upset with her. That's what would I have to go on, right? But let's say she really did. And I'm just, you know, and she said, I'm sorry. I didn't, I just, you know, and I just won't forgive her. And I won't talk to her. And I just, and that happens with a lot of people for whatever s- sad thing. And then guess what? I go on, but then I say, Lord, you know, I can't even pray the Lord's prayer. Forgive us our sins as we, uh, um, uh, um <clears throat> It says, husbands, dwell with your wives in understanding way as a weaker vessel, so your prayers are not hindered. Now my prayers are hindered, and they're not being answered. Why? I'm grieving the Holy Spirit, because the Holy Spirit knows. Remember those, remember those other servants that were upset because they saw the master forgive that guy's 100,000 talents? Or I'm sorry, 10,000 talents? And he won't forgive this guy a little bit by way of comparison? And they're upset, saying, this is unjust. You forgave him, and now he won't forgive. And he, the master, which was a picture of Jesus, says, go tell him, go, Bind him hand and foot, put him with the tormentors to get tormented. He won't get out to He pays the last penny. I, I resent. He takes away the forgiveness, okay? Well, guess what? The Holy Spirit is a witness against us that we've been forgiven a great deal. And now we refuse to forgive. And he says, be angry. Don't sin. Don't give a foothold to the devil. In 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 2.11, a guy who's been living a wicked life repents, comes back to the church at Corinth, and some don't want him back, even though he's repentant. And Paul says to forgive him, for we're not ignorant of Satan's devices. So now let's say I'm not forgiving my wife, and I'm angry at her, and I don't want to forgive her. And now Satan's at work, man. I'm letting the sun go down on my anger. And now that anger is brooding. And there's different Greek words like thumos and others that have to do with anger. It's, one's a slow and one's a quick-tempered. And now I'm like in the slow burn now, and a bad temper. And, and then I'm saying things I would never say, and I become a different person. You know, I'm grieving the Holy Spirit. And look what he says here. In verse 26, we were at, right? Be angry, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down in your anger. Do not let give the devil an opportunity. He who steals must steal no longer. It can also be with theft, but rather he must labor, performing with his own hands what is good so that he will have something to share with one who has need. You've got a lot of people in the streets claim to be Christians. They don't want to lift a finger to work, okay? And they become street people. They grieve the Holy Spirit if they've been Christians because they just want to be free loaf. All of a sudden, guess what? They open themselves up to, the, to Satan, Sometimes they get demonized, man. You know, you see them talking to themselves. There's more than them there sometimes, right? Verse 29. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such as a word as is good for edification according to the need of the moment, so you shall, not, you shall give grace to those who hear. Do not what? Verse 30. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. I Meaning God sealed you for the day of redemption. Now don't mess that up, is he saying. He goes on to say, "Look what he says. Look at the context. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander—that would also be foul language, potentially, right? That's not the Holy Spirit. You're angry with somebody, you use bad words or whatever, destructive language, mean put downs. But, put it, but let it be put away from you, along with all malice." Verse thirty-two: Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. No chapter break in the original Greek. Chapter five. Just ignore it. Keep reading. Look what he says, therefore be imitators of God as beloved children, meaning don't grieve the Holy Spirit, don't give the devil a a foothold, be imitators of God. Verse 2, walk in love just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. Look at verse 3 now, but immorality and impurity or greed must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Now watch what he says. And there must be no filthiness and silly talk or coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. For this you know, now verse five is huge. For this you know with certainty that no immoral or impure person or covetous man who is an idolater has an inheritance in what? The kingdom of Christ and God. This is in the context of not grieving the Holy Spirit, working with your hands, not stealing, right? A covetous man a thief, you know, won't inherit God's kingdom. And he's warning believers. He's not warning all believers here. He's warning believers that you could grieve the Holy Spirit and fail to enter the kingdom. Because look at what he goes on to say. Verse six, let no one deceive you with empty words. How would someone deceive you with empty words? They say, oh, you know what? You don't need to crucify the flesh. Ah, oh, you didn't you get saved at that altar call? I saw you go up and receive Jesus. Oh, you're okay. It's okay if you live a wicked life now. you just lose some rewards. No, that's not what it's saying here. It's talking about grieving the Holy Spirit. And then not letting anyone deceive you with vain words to make you think that you'll still get in the kingdom if you're living a wicked life. And then he says, I don't want to deceive you with empty words for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon who? The sons of disobedience. Now keep in mind, we're not talking about falling short of God's glory. and Everybody grieves the Holy Spirit at times. We're talking about that which becomes habitual rebellion against the voice of the Holy Spirit. And digs your feet in the ground and say, I'm not going to obey you anymore, God. And then guess what? He calls them sons of disobedience. They're now characterized not as sons of the kingdom, but as sons of disobedience. But he's warning the sons of the kingdom not to become that because look at the very next verse. Therefore, do not be partakers with them. In other words, you believers who have the Holy Spirit, who are sealed, can become partakers with them. Look at the very next verse, verse eight. For you were formerly what? Darkness, but now you are what? What? Light in the Lord, walk as children of light. So he's not talking to non-believers at all. He's talking about those who were formerly darkness, but now children of light, to continue to walk as children of light, to not grieve the Holy Spirit, to not give the devil a foothold, to get to the point where they're deceived into thinking that they're still gonna inherit, inherit God's kingdom. And you know what he's talking about becoming God's enemy here? In fact, quickly, go to Isaiah 63 where he, you can see the language that Paul uses here. It's about knocking. Remember when the Israelites were grieved? Were grieving the Holy Spirit? Remember they were murmuring? Remember they were mocking? They, remember they were complaining against God? Look what he says in Isaiah 63 when he's warning them in the book of Isaiah. And it's just a couple verses. I think we're at 6310 is what, I wanna, is what we want to look for. In 6310, look what he says here. But they rebelled, okay? And it's talking about, in verse 9, we get the context. In all their affliction, he was afflicted. And the angel of his presence saved them. So God saved them out of Egypt, right? And then he said he saved them in his love and in his mercy. He redeemed them. Thought those who were saved, those who were redeemed. Then what does he say? He lifted them and carried them all the days of old. Verse 10, but. But they what? Rebelled and what? grieved what? Grieved the Holy Spirit. Therefore, he turned himself to become their what? Their enemy, right? He fought against them. And then it goes on. It talks about how they whittled down to nothing. You know, there's always a remnant though. So the point is this, and what's Paul talking about here? He's drawn a parallel. The Jews that were redeemed out of Egypt Many of them turned back, wanted to go back to Egypt, were complaining against God. They grieved the Holy Spirit. And even though he saved them and redeemed them, he became their enemy. They didn't enter the kingdom, the promised land. Paul is drawing a line saying, guess what? We're on our way to the promised land. We've been sealed for the day of redemption. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Make sure you continue in the faith. Amen? So the normal Christian life is to simply continue in the faith. Amen? And now, I gave you a very, very ugly scenario with my wife and I if I did that. Because I don't want someone to think, wow, if I've blown it, if I've fallen short of God's glory. That's all of us as Christians even at times, right? That, oh man, the Holy Spirit's gonna leave me. That's not how it works. God died for us knowing we would still struggle at times, right? And knowing that we would still have to become Christ-like and that it would be a lifetime. Amen? The context here is rebelling against the Lord and refusing to obey and take his correctives. But the fact is that it shows that that can be a reality. And guess what? It is a reality for some people. That's why in Hebrews chapter three, it says don't harden your hearts where you don't hear the voice of the Holy Spirit any longer. It says that a couple times. It says, see to it that none of you are hardened by the deceitfulness of sin and fallen away from the living God, amen? And then in Hebrews six, it talks about those who had once received the Holy Spirit who then became apostates, who are now crucifying Christ afresh. So I'm looking at the clock and now I'm a few minutes late. <laughs> but no, it was a great question, Greg. You know, and uh, so, uh, but you know what? If I just gave you a two-minute answer, I just didn't feel it would be sufficient. Does that make sense though? Okay, praise God. He is good, amen. So let's, let's crowd to the Father. Father God, we love you so much. We praise you, Father, for your Holy Spirit.